Wisdom. Wisdom. James talks a lot about wisdom. Proverbs talks a lot about wisdom. And if you're in David's class uh, for Sunday school, I'm sure you are or have been or will be talking about wisdom at some point. And uh, it's a really important thing. There's, there's many different ways you can think about wisdom. There's many images of what wisdom really looks like. Um, maybe, maybe for some of you, wisdom looks a bit uh, like, like Gandalf. Like Gandalf from the Lord of the Rings, you know the picture of, of Gandalf, those very wise eyes as you stare down into them, the gray hair, right? Because he's been around a while. He's been around a little bit. He's experienced a lot. He's seen things. He's watched how the world has changed. Uh, he's been there. He's actually, so I had to look up, how old is Gandalf? Do you know how old he is? Apparently it's not really easy to find out, is it? No. But he roamed Middle Earth for about 2,019 years. I thought that was significant, being 2019 ourselves. But uh, that's how long he lived. So he saw how Middle Earth developed. He was wise because of that. He experienced it. And of course he was alive before that. Or is wisdom more the image of today's rules? Maybe is that how we think about wisdom? The rules of you know, do whatever feels good to you. You know, make up your own truth. That's, you're, you're, you be true to yourself, okay? That's today's rules. Maybe it's to work hard, make money, retire early. These are the things that we govern ourselves by. Today's rules could be, you know, get the best education you can to get paid the best. Don't worry about others and put yourself first. Right? These are some rules that are really wise for our today's, today's culture. Maybe that's how you see wisdom. Uh, my mom often told me I needed to be street smart and not just book smart. I was really book smart. I could, I could study things. I could learn things really quickly. And uh, to my, my brother who was five years older than me and doing his math homework was hilarious and I loved it. I lorded that over him all of his life. Um, anyway, but he's way more street smart than I'll ever be, probably. There was a wise sage who once spoke prophetically over me, and he said, Brandon, always pray for wisdom and understanding. Always pray for wisdom and understanding. And he told me that over and over and over again. I think he was a wise sage because he had like this massive beard that I really respected. You know those beards? Yeah. I think all people with those big beards are supposed to be wise. We have these images of wisdom and these thoughts about what wisdom is. But what is wisdom according to James? Where is James going with these two kinds of wisdom? Let's dig into what this looked like. Every week I tell you about being, doing, and bearing. And this week, uh, I want you, it's in their bulletin today. I just wrote headings of being, doing, and bearing. And I want you to find out today what being, doing, and bearing is and see if you can catch, catch it this morning. Our passage begins with a question. And it says this. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility, that comes from wisdom. I thought there was a peculiar question. What's with this question, right? Is it sarcastic or rhetoric in nature where it's like, who's, who's really wise among you, right? Or maybe he's like legitimately asking, like, do you think you're wise like, in your own mind? Or more, maybe more like um, look around and see. Who do you see if you looked around today, right? As you look around, you're like, who is wise among us? 
look for, look for some gray beards, right? That's, uh, that's what we look for. No, I'm like, what is this question really getting at this morning? Well, in chapter 3 and in chapter 2, we saw that James was addressing some teachers. He was addressing some teachers of the day who were leading people astray. It says there that the teachers' tongues were set on fire by hell, causing destruction. They showed favoritism for selfish gain. And I think it maybe makes sense then that he was addressing them, maybe with a bit of sarcasm, but actually asking them, do you actually think you're wise? Do you think you're wise? I think scripture goes beyond just those teachers then and comes to us and lands in our laps this morning. And we need to ask ourselves this. Do do we think we're wise? Do I think I'm wise? Do I have moments in my life where I'm like, I'm I'm pretty smart. I'm pretty wise. I get it. I understand things. Do we, do we come to those moments in our lives? I think churches can tend to be full of wise people, right? With the quotation marks. You have to add quotation marks for this one, right? This wisdom of uh, thinking that we're wise and lording it over others. I grew up in a, in a culture where, where there was like a certain Christians lorded their wisdom over other Christians, other churches, And that's what James is addressing here, and that's what we need to address today as well. Do we consider ourselves so wise that we hold ourselves above other people? Well, what does this say today? What does our our passage say? Who is wise and understanding among you? Well, let him show it. Show it by his good life and by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. True to his nature, as we've been studying in James, he adds words and actions, thoughts and actions together. He says there's actually no wisdom without good deeds. Good, a good life. A good life. Here he actually means like a good lifestyle. A good way of living. You can see it by, by the choices people make. Then you know they're wise. By the deeds, by the works. I love the word for humility here is actually the word for meek, meekness that Jesus uses. Blessed are the meek, he says, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. Meek is like this gentle hearted, it's more than humble. It isn't a quality that James's uh, culture would have aspired to, to be meek. People in his time maybe would have thought of it as people who are pushovers. But listen to this one theologian, Douglas Moo, who suggests this. Christian meekness involves a healthy understanding of our own unworthiness before God and a corresponding humility and lack of pride in our dealings with our fellow man. Meekness begins by understanding who you are before God. It's coming before him and realizing, man, I I'm actually pretty unworthy to be in his presence right now. I'm actually unworthy to receive his love. I'm a person made of corruptness and and filthy rags. I don't deserve to be in his presence. But God extends his hand anyway and says, I call you my child. Be with me. To understand that, to grasp that, That's the type of humility this passage is talking about. 
It puts us in a place of, of thankfulness, a place of humility, that then it comes out in our actions. If we can be in God's presence, realizing, man, I'm unworthy to be here, but I'm so thankful I am. I'm so thankful that he's accepting me into himself. It actually comes out then in how we treat one another. There's a lack of pride then as we treat one another. Do you think you're wise? I think then we need to look at our actions and our dealings with others and really question, am I wise? Well, he gets into these two types of wisdom then and he compares them. This, this fake, uh, worldly, earthly wisdom with wisdom from above. So there's two types of wisdom here. This earthly wisdom and a wisdom from above. He says this, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, or demonic, or of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. Now, it's not every day that you, when you think wisdom, you think bitter envy and selfish ambition and hear these negative terms, right? But James wants to point out what's actually going on in this so-called wisdom, this earthly wisdom. The opposite of good deeds from meek wisdom is worldly wisdom. It's harboring bitter envy and selfish ambition in the depths of your being, in your heart. In the core of who you are, you're harboring these things. Worldly wisdom says this, work for yourself alone. Work for yourself alone. If these two are in your heart, the passage says, don't boast about this type of wisdom. Don't boast about it. It being this earthly wisdom. He's saying this, you're actually not really self-aware. You don't really understand who you are in the presence of God. Self-awareness is actually really hard. Like, have you ever tried to get to know yourself? <laughs> Maybe you do some, some quiz or something on Facebook or right, Instagram where you're trying to figure out who you are, but like you become, try to become self-aware. Who am I really? What's my personality? Who am I? Who am I before God? That's self-awareness. When you ask that question, who am I? This type of earthly wisdom, James is saying, you shouldn't boast about it. By your boasting, you're showing actually that you're not self-aware. You don't realize who you are before God. You go on and say in your boasting, like, you're going to do this. You're going to do that. You're going to accomplish this. You're going to amount to this in the world. And you're going to tell everyone about it, how good I am. And that my opinion is always the best one. I mean, maybe I don't tell you that. But in my heart, I know that I'm always right. Right, wives? Right? No, it's husbands, right? It's husbands. That's right. We we can get this in our in our minds and our hearts where I just subtly, subtly go through life thinking I'm the one that's right. That I have the wisdom here. That that man, when this problem shows up, I, I have the answer. And when as I give the answer, I'm like, this is it. I this is gonna change your life. This is gonna change our situation. This is the best idea for this ministry in our church, right? I have it. 
It's the golden key that will unlock any door. We think we have it all. That's what he's saying. Do not boast about this. No, it means you're probably not too self-aware. It says this, do not deny the truth. What does it mean that these people are denying the truth when we're holding into that kind of wisdom? What truth? I think Nystrom goes on to say that it's the truth of this, that action always comes from the heart. Action always comes from the word. Now, we've been in James for a little while here. So as I say that statement, if you've heard previous messages, you get that. But James has been talking about adding your faith and deeds together. That faith isn't really faith without deeds. Earlier in chapter 1, he actually says that you can't just have the scriptures. You can't just have the word. You need word and action together. Because God convicts us of things and changes our hearts. And so you need both. Word and action. You need both faith and deeds. You need both wisdom and the fruit that comes from wisdom. He continues on in this same thing. You can't deny the truth, that truth. As that theologian Douglas Moo suggests, wisdom and humility go together. So if you find yourself boasting about your wisdom, it's it's probably not from God. If you think you're all that, right? It might not be from God. Here's my thoughts on why it's not and why maybe it's opposite, this earthly versus wisdom from above. Bitter envy and selfish selfish ambition actually destroy relationships. Can you think about it? When you focus on yourself and selfish ambition... You're like, I'm just going to hit my mark. My, I set my goal, right? Goals are really important. I set my goal and I know how to get there. And in the end, in the back of my head, it doesn't matter who gets in my way. I need to accomplish this. What do we do? We destroy relationships. We destroy relationships. We get so focused. And we have tunnel vision when it comes to selfish ambition. We destroy relationships. Think of envy. You know what envy is? Envy here is like kind of like this overzealous type of thing where it's like a constant, ends up being a constant comparison with others. Where I look at your life and say, man, I want that life. Which is exploded when, when you think about social media. Right? When you think about going on, on to uh, Facebook or to, to Instagram or Snapchat, when you see those snaps, when you see those pictures online, you're like, wow, I want that. I mean, it used to be like magazines and like sitting on your front porch looking at your neighbor. But anyway, it's way easier now to, to, to judge other people. So anyway, we, when, you, when you look online, this is constantly on guard for yourself, constant comparison to others and what they have and what they're doing, their, their vacations, their, their children, how they look so great all the time, right? Versus mine with snotty nose and like muffin all over the face as she came into church today, right? Like, we constantly compare. We do it subtly. We do it unconsciously as we scroll through, as we swipe through social media. This is actually pretty damaging to our own souls. That's why it says it harbors it in your heart. When you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, there's hardness of heart that happens. It's no longer soft and moldable for the Lord. No, it's hard and calloused. And it breaks relationship. When you're in this state of constant comparison, 
When I go online and I see your, your, your feed, right, and I see your post on Instagram and how awesome TYF was on Friday as they roamed through West Edmonton Mall, right, and, and I look at those pictures and say, wow, they had the life. I should have showed up. Why didn't I? I was with Summit. We were having an awesome time too, but we didn't post any pictures about it. We should have posted pictures, guys, for a guy's night. Right? Why didn't we do that? We have this constant comparison. You know what happens? The other becomes the enemy. Right? The other becomes the enemy. As I look at your photo and see how awesome your life is and I want that and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there, you become an enemy. Right? I need to be better than you. That's damaging, obviously, to relationship. Wisdom says this. Instead of selfish ambition, real wisdom will say this. How can I actually help this person or be with this person? Versus earthly wisdom, which says, which says, how can I gain from this person? You know, as you meet a new person, maybe as they walk into church or as you meet them, maybe for work and maybe for pleasure, leisure, whatever, and you shake their hand or you're being introduced, have you ever had that moment like, man, I could really gain from this person. Like, I could think of all the advantages I could have in this relationship. Sometimes that happens. Not all the time, but I think that does happen. What can I gain from this person versus, man, how can I be a part of this person's life? Guide them, pray for them, lead them to Jesus. There's actually some real success that can hum- come from this, this earthly wisdom, though. Right? It's success. It certainly is there. Bitter envy, for example, motivates you to succeed in life. That I'm going to be better than Joey. I'm going to be better than that other person. And so it motivates me to succeed. Maybe at the cost of other people. But sure, it's success in someone's eyes. Selfish ambition is, you know, I'm going to make a life and a name for myself by getting, getting to what I need. Maybe I need to get that education. Maybe I need to make the best money and make more money than you because it's always a comparison, right? And, and, and so I just go through and plow through people because it doesn't matter. It's about the bottom line. It's about success. It's about money. It's about stature. That's selfish ambition. That's, you, can, you can have success in a certain way. But at what cost is this success? They seem wise. They come at a cost, church. Destruction and disorder follow every time. Eventually. That's what this earthly wisdom leads to. That's what James is saying. Listen to how he says it. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. You find disorder in every evil practice. I think the reason wisdom is humble and not boastful comes from this. Wisdom is from outside of us. Did you know that? Wisdom is from outside of us. Like you, can, you can become smart as you study and learn, but, but wisdom's a little different here. James says wisdom is something outside of us that we actually have to ask for from God. Do you seek wisdom, he says in James 1.5. If you lack wisdom, which he's trying to say you lack wisdom, <laughs> is to ask for it. And you know what God does? He says he actually gives it. He gives wisdom without partiality, without favoritism, maybe as some others were doing. He gives it. All we do is ask, which means this. 
Wisdom comes from outside of you. That's why you can't think and boast about being wise. Because it's never yours. It's always from outside. There were some teachers in James' day holding their wisdom above others to have status. But true wisdom comes from a place of gratitude and a bit of self-awareness. Namely that I don't have wisdom. It's actually from God. It's opposite than from this earthly wisdom, from this so-called wisdom. Listen to what he calls it. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven or from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic or of the devil. It's earthly. Versus from above, from heaven, right? It's of the culture. It's of the culture of the day, that wisdom that we mentioned at the, at the top today. It's unspiritual. Often wisdom from the world means it has nothing to do with your spiritual life whatsoever. But actually, it's damaging. It's without a soul is the word here. And the last one from the devil or demonic means this. Uh, previously, we, in, just before in chapter 3, it talks about the tongue. And the tongue is set on fire by hell or, or Satan himself. The demonic realm has an influence in wisdom as well. We can think something is wise when it's actually demonic. Actually, actually from the devil, from hell itself. This is why we must be careful with what type of wisdom we choose today and each day. Selfish ambition and envy bring disorder in every evil practice. What this is saying is when evil happens, we can probably bring it back to the, those two things. That bitter envy and selfish ambition. Well, what is wisdom from heaven? What is wisdom from above talk about? Verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. There's a, there's a list here that, that James gives, and then there's a proverb at the very end of our, our, our passage here today. But what does this sound like? If you're familiar with Scripture in Galatians chapter 5, this sounds like the fruit of the Spirit, doesn't it? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Sounds very similar. A little different list. But I think this is often because the, the Spirit is also called the Spirit of Wisdom. And wisdom is often the characteristic name of the Holy Spirit. Our theologian Douglas Moo today says this, What Paul says the Spirit produces, James says wisdom produces. I find that intriguing. Of course, he, he warns that you can't equate the two, that wisdom and, and the Spirit are not exactly right, but I think this today. Every good and perfect gift is from Jesus, is from above, and he promised us his Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us through life, through wisdom. When we ask for it, what are we asking for? I think we're asking for the Holy Spirit to come and be with us and in us. The characteristics here of wisdom start with being, it says, first of all, pure. First of all, pure. And this word is actually an echo from an earlier passage in, in James when he talks about being single-minded. 
Do you remember us talking about being single-minded versus double-minded? Single-minded on God means I'm going to follow after him. I'm, I'm choosing to follow him from here on out in my life versus double-minded, which is like, okay, I believe maybe God exists, but I'm not going to follow him here and here and here. I'll follow this teaching over here. It's a little different. It's my culture. It's, I grew up in it, right? We can be double-minded and follow two different things or follow Jesus. This pure, then, is focused in on that. It means we're fixed on God. And, of course, covered by him, which makes us pure. Then it goes on and describes the rest of these characteristics of wisdom. And I want you to listen to them here today. It's then peace-loving. And notice then the, the little proverb at the end talks about peace as well. It's about loving peace. Loving peace in our lives. That's wise. Being considerate and submissive. Considering one another. Actually thinking about someone else instead of just my own ambitions all the time. We say it like this, right? Like being in someone else's shoes. Right? That's why we talk about this. It's actually wise to be considerate. Submissive. That's not a fun word that we want to see in wisdom, right? No, we want to be strong and independent, right? That's what we want to be. No, no. Submissive here doesn't mean you be trampled over. It means when someone actually has something to say, we listen. And if it's really wise, we submit to it. Like Scripture. As you go through Scripture today and as you're reading and doing your devotions and God just points something out and it's like, man, Brandon, you need to address this in your life. Wisdom says this. I need to submit to that. That's submission. Full of mercy and good fruit. It's fun that these are together. It continues with James's idea that, that faith and works need to go together. Faith and deeds. Mercy always needs fruit. The only way to know that you are a merciful person is if, you see, if I can see you or if you can see yourself doing mercy. Actually being merciful to somebody. That's wise is to be merciful. Versus always seeking punishment. Being merciful, God says, is actually more wise than always seeking punishment here. Impartial and sincere. Someone who, do you know the people in your life that you can sit down or you shake their hands in the hallway or, or you give them a hug and you just know that they are the most sincere person, that they're real. They're real. They get it. And they're most genuine when it comes to caring about you. When they actually say, like, how are you doing? Have you had a person who, we, have, we all have those people, and we're probably one of them, where it's like, oh, how are you doing today? You know, let me move on. And at the end of the service, you'll do it. Like, how are you doing today? And you'll move on, right? But those really sincere people who are like, how are you doing today? I was joking with some people on the weekend. It's like the pastor handshake is like you grab the elbow right, and you give a handshake and look directly into their eyes. I forget who it was, but they're like, that's really close and impersonal. I was like, yeah, it is. It is. Right? It's, it's about being sincere. A little weird and awkward at the same time. But no, but those sincere people, right? That's wisdom. That's wisdom. These are the characteristics. Um. I want you to notice three things. First one is this. Openness to God. 
Listen to this quote from uh, David Nystrom. Taken as a whole, these words counteract the divisive and party spirit and prompt an openness to God's, to God's leading. So that even the teachers James opposes might see the light. When you look at all these characteristics as a whole, what does it do? It actually brings that, that meekness that we talked about earlier into play. That we realize who we are before God and we're open to him leading us. That wisdom is actually from outside of us. And that division that's in the church in James's day, that comes in our day because of lording wisdom over each other, is gone. It's gone. Here's the second thing I want you to notice. Wisdom is a quality that produces. Wisdom is a quality within us that we receive that produces behavior. Listen to this uh, from Douglas Moo. He says, it is again clear that James does not view wisdom as a series of correct propositional statements, like a checklist, but as a quality that motivates certain kinds of behavior. When I'm thinking of trying to be wise, I'm not going to go home on my whiteboard or open a note on my phone and open a checkbox list and say, here's the things I need to be. No, what he actually means is this, is I need to open up my heart to God. Say, God, fill me with wisdom. And then the behaviors come. We often get it backwards, right? Where we want to try to just do all these things to be wise. Or do things to get approval. Or do things. We always want to do things. It's tangible. We see it. We can prove it. But no, it begins actually here with the heart. And softening the heart. And having wisdom in your heart. We receive it. And then the behaviors follow. The third thing is this. And we're going to get into a little bit bit more of this. Is this. The end goal in disorderly. uh, In the disorderly church that seeks favoritism and selfish ambition, the end goal needs to be peace. Where there's disorder, there needs to be peace. James is addressing his church in his day. There's teachers who are causing divisions. Some are following, some are going away. And the thing is this, he comes back to peace twice. He talks about it being peace-loving and gives this proverb, peacemakers who sow peace in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Righteousness, being right, and wisdom go together here. Fruit, the fruit of wisdom is peace. We bear peace. Peace isn't this thing where we avoid tension. I think we often think that's what peace is. If I can just avoid this fight right now with my parents, if I can avoid this fight with my friend right now or my spouse, if we can just avoid this, that would be great, right? <laughs> Let's avoid the tension. There's a problem, sure there's a problem, but if we just avoid it, that's peace. No, that's not peace. That's just simply avoidance. We dismiss arguments rather than working them out. Rather than doing the hard work. And I think churches are often guilty of this. Where we don't want to work out the issues, right? We, uh, we just blame it on church politics and move on, Right? Man, a community that can work out problems and issues and disagreements. That's true peace that can come. True peace can really come in those moments. This peace is called shalom. 
You've probably heard this word. It's a, it's a common word that we use in our English language for, that we borrow from the Hebrews, that it's shalom. It's a peace that actually is more holistic in nature. Not just avoiding tension, but it's a peace that encompasses our entire being of wholeness, of healthiness, and being complete. Um. I had a picture today, but I don't think it's going to come up. But it, it, there's a, a monument, a statue that I wanted to show you today of uh, in Ortano, Italy. And it's a statue uh, uh, of these two soldiers. And one is knelt down, bending over an injured soldier. Uh, and, and, and what's curious about it is, is this. They're actually Canadian soldiers in the, in the image. You can look it up. It's called The Price of Peace. So now all of you have your phones out and you're like, yeah, actually, you could do that. I don't care. Look it up and look up The Price of Peace if you want. And uh, you'll see the heritage moment from Canada. Don't play the video. It's a good video. Watch it later. You'll learn lots of Canadian history. But uh, I, I found this and I was like, whoa, this is really interesting. There's a, there was a price to peace for this little town in Italy where Canadian soldiers in 1943 held their ground for this town. They didn't give up against the enemy. And the entire time they held out their ground, held out their ground, and saved this little town in Italy. And so they erected a little monument to remember the price of peace for this little town. Now I don't love war and I don't necessarily agree with a ton of wars, but here's what I think, is when we want to work something out, Sometimes it's hard. Simply put, sometimes it's hard to work things out. But in the end, when peace comes, when shalom comes, it's whole, it's complete. Wisdom brings this type of peace. The question this morning, this, as we get to communion today, is how do I get this wisdom? And a wisdom like Gandalf or like Greybeards or like those people we really suspect, uh, respect as really sincere and wise. It seems so far off, right? Especially if you're young, but maybe you've aged and you realize that I'm not wise either, right? How do I get this wisdom? Because it's more than good choices and bad choices. How do I seek this wisdom? And it comes down to this. We need to ask it from the Holy Spirit. We need to seek it. We need to seek him. Douglas Moose says, in a society that tends to elevate intelligence and cleverness, Christians need to assert that the values James lists are truly enviable, enduring ones. It's the type of wisdom we need in our world today, church. It's the wisdom that we actually get to offer. Where's wisdom from? It's from this one in Ephesians 1 that says he's the spirit of wisdom. Worship team, you can come. Last week I asked you to examine the condition of your heart. And now you've had a week to think about it. If you were here last week, if not, don't worry, you'll have a moment here today as well. To ask God this question. What is the condition, God, of my heart? Do I find this earthly wisdom of of bitter envy and selfish ambition? You can ask God it this way. What is the state of my wisdom? Do I think I'm wise? Is it high and lofty, selfish ambition? 
Maybe not. Maybe God's going to tell you today that you've got it. Like, I'm, I'm giving you wisdom. And you find yourself humbly before the Lord, and that's awesome. Worship him today for that. Uh, but I think some of us this morning need to do some work with Jesus. So I'm going to give you some moments for that right before we do communion. So go ahead and, and get out of entertainment mode from me telling you things from a stage with a light on my face and actually come to the Lord now for have a moment with him and ask him, God, what's the condition of my heart? Is it hard, full of bitterness and envy, selfish ambition? Begin to ask him that today.